This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Monday afternoon, November 28th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. Presented by the Village of Bedford Park, I'm Rob Hart. Fed Chair Jerome Powell on the release of the closely watched government jobs report for November. Let's get a preview from Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Gus, thanks for joining us today. Let's set the table for the government jobs report report coming out on Friday morning, 7.30 Chicago time. There have been indications the labor market is softening somewhat, but it sounds like we're going to see uh, uh, six-figure gains once again on Friday morning. Yeah, obviously we've been hearing more about layoffs, particularly on the tech side. Uh, That being said, I think many of those workers are getting quickly rehired given the very tight labor market. And unemployment insurance claims remain very low, you know, around 220,000 per uh, week or so. So I would expect that we will see job growth slow somewhat in November to uh, somewhere around 225, 250,000 jobs added over the month. But that's still too high from the Federal Reserve's perspective. And speaking of the Federal Reserve uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell is going to speak this week. We've already heard from uh, Jay, uh, uh, James Bullard, the president of the St. Louis Fed, and uh, markets uh, went down a little bit more uh, after uh, he made his remarks. Uh, before we talk about Powell's speech later this week, what did Bullard say today? Oh, you know, gosh, to be honest with you, Rob, I didn't have a chance to look at those comments. Well, so. if, I, if, I, if I had to guess, I mean, just, just knowing uh, James Bullard's mindset, it was probably something along the lines of, uh, of uh, the, the, it, the interest rate hikes will continue until morale improves. That's right. Bullard has been kind of a hawk on things. Uh, you know, he's been very concerned about inflation. Other Fed officials are still concerned about inflation, but perhaps not quite as much as Bullard. Uh, you know, and what I expect we'll hear from Powell is is that interest rate increases will continue, uh, but we may see them at a slower pace. So I would expect that when the Fed meets in mid-December, uh, that we'll see a 50 basis point increase, half of a percentage point. Uh, that's compared to the 75 basis point increases that we've been seeing really through most of 2022. And this kind of uh, consensus confusion, if you want to call it that, it seems like investors are zeroing in on a particular course of action by the Fed. So uh, these remarks from Powell later this week, unless they're a real big surprise, don't have the potential to move markets, or do they? Well, 
I mean, they always do. I think, you know, Powell obviously speaks not just for himself, but for the the Federal Reserve as a whole. And so I think what he says in particular carries extra weight. Uh, I think between the uh, Powell speech, between the Beige Book that we get on Wednesday on regional economic conditions, and then the jobs report on Friday, I think we'll get a better sense of where the labor market is heading and what the Fed is looking for in terms of whether they can start to increase rates at a slower pace late this year in 2023. We'll go in-depth on Black Friday and Cyber Monday in our next segment, but uh, very quickly right now, Gus, it sounds like uh, it, it got off on a strong foot on Friday. Yeah, I mean, consumers are anxious about inflation. Uh, you know, wage growth has not kept up with rising prices. That being said, consumers still have a lot of money saved up uh, from the past couple of years. And so uh, although consumer spending growth, holiday sales growth won't be as strong as what we saw in 2021, I, I still think that we'll see a decent increase. And we'll see not just uh, higher prices, but also higher volumes of holiday sales. Thanks for joining us. Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. And then coming up, retail expectations on this Cyber Monday. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Black Friday is in the books. While we're currently experiencing Cyber Monday, let's update holiday retail with Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO, J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide, based in New York. Jan, thanks for joining us today. It sounds like Black Friday, at least the online shopping component of Black Friday, was a record breaker. Yeah, I don't think there was any doubt that we saw, and I think some of us thought we might not see a record breaker because we were concerned that last year benefited so much from the fact that everybody had to basically stay home. And so, yes, we're thrilled to see it be better than last year, even if it's uh, 2 or 3% better than last year. And, you know, that won't keep pace with inflation, but it's still a good number. And I think we're seeing strength pretty much throughout the weekend. We're seeing pretty good footfall in the malls. And we'll definitely see a positive number through this four-day period. The question is, will it be better than the inflation component? And I think I agree with the guest you just had that said he expects actually marginally positive or something like that units and then inflation on top of that. And if that's true, it would make for a 6 or 7 or 8% holiday selling period. I think that's still where we all think we are. And, and it sounds like there there are there are indications that uh, people are trying to spend through the inflation that uh, the buy now pay later services were have been doing a brisk business this weekend. When buy now pay later is up eighty percent, it's a good news bad news joke. The bad news is people are having to stretch to buy what they want. The good news is they've decided, you know, I've got a job. I'm just going to spend it, and they're doing that. And I think that's going to continue right through the holiday. I think last time I talked to you guys, they said I'm concerned about 2023 because we keep raising interest rates, and eventually it's going to start to affect people's ability to get the next job and things like that. But it hasn't happened so far. And so far, the consumer said, maybe I've got to use my credit card. Maybe I've got to use buy now, pay later. Maybe I've got to use my savings because it's going up faster than my wages are, but I'm going to do it. And then uh, at what point uh, does the line blur between Black Friday and Cyber Monday? Because I know in our own household, uh, we did practically all of our Christmas shopping on Friday, and that was entirely via uh, apps and, and deal emails. So uh, when, when does Black Friday stop becoming an event uh, distinct from Cyber Monday? 
Well, I'm not sure that Black Friday really anymore is much of a distinct event from the whole month of November because we see everything starting earlier and people pulling the sales forward and offering all the deals online that they're going to offer on Black Friday. However, Black Friday is still a really big shopping day in the stores. But you're right, that whole thing is blurring into just the whole shopping period. And certainly, when we look at it now, we look at Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday as the Black Friday shopping period and talk about it that way. So I I think it is all now blurred into one big event. As far as actual foot traffic at actual stores on the Friday after Thanksgiving, uh, does the power of nostalgia still draw people into shopping malls and into uh, department stores? You know, they have to be part of the hustle and bustle. Well, some of that is true, but I think it also is a case where we've been so cooped up for so long that this is the first real big event that we can go out and do something unfettered. So I think a lot of people said, I used to go to the store on Black Friday up till 2019. Now I can't for two years. Since I can again, I'm just going to go. So we did see pretty good football. But you noticed people didn't really open on Thanksgiving, only a few companies. And people didn't open at 4 and 5 in the morning. They opened at 6, 7, 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. So they recognized that the consumer was coming back, but they also didn't think they were going to be beating their doors down in the cold wee hours of the morning. Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide, based in New York. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, the latest in a potential nationwide railroad strike. Some tech companies are looking to plan B for shipping with the possibility of a national strike looming for the railroad industry. Let's get an update on the contract standoff from Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Uh, first off, what is the strike deadline? It looks like December 9th is the day we're looking at for uh, needing a deal before a strike to occur. Uh, I think the difficult part is the railroads are saying that they may have to halt certain shipments four days ahead of that to avoid you know, hazardous materials being, being stuck out there on the tracks. So things have to happen pretty quick to avoid this strike. And then uh, when it comes to uh, all of the uh, Christmas merchandise, that's already been shipped. I think we're all right on the Christmas retail season, and that's a bit of relief. I think the difficult part, though, is that, uh, you know, the truck driver shortages have actually gotten a little worse in the last few weeks with, uh, you know, with the kind of uh, economic consumer spending we're seeing. So there isn't just a lot of place for this traffic to go if we have a strike. And uh, here in Chicago, you know, Metra is going to be affected. Nine of their lines are potentially impacted in Amtrak. So this does have ripple effects. And then we saw this uh, during the last strike deadline, Metra canceling uh, an entire, you know, their, their entire evening schedule because they didn't want uh, train crews to be stranded. If there was an actual strike, Amtrak wiped out its schedule for at least a day uh, because they didn't want the, their passengers to be stranded. So even though you said before the odds of a resolution are now at 50 50. Uh, if you do rely on the rails, uh, you can't be too careful. I think that's the hard part. And, and that's what businesses are saying that, you know, we can, if we know uh, there's going to be a two day shutdown, we can a- account for that. But there's no uh, a certainty if the strike happens. I mean, four of the, the uh, uh, 10 or so unions rejected the deal. That you know, suggests we're still pretty far away apart uh, to having this thing settled. And industrial supply chains, you know, those manufacturing uh, assembly lines and things, if those things have to stop, it just can, can really destroy a bottom line for a whole quarter for some big corporations.
And then let's go from trains to planes very quickly. And uh, Frontier Airlines announcing that uh, if you call, you don't have to call their customer service line anymore, they're doing away with the customer service agents. So the Muzak is gone, the long waits on hold are gone, and instead you will chat with somebody. Are you going to be chatting with an actual human being, or will you be dealing with a chat bot if you have an issue with Frontier Airlines? You know, this is a big step, and I was disappointed to hear this. I mean, United charges you if you book a ticket through an agent, but you still have that option. You can still call, and that's sort of a therapeutic thing when you're in a, in a terrible airline cancellation uh, uh, problem. Getting somebody on the phone just to calmly give you your options is just a good fallback, and that's going away with Frontier, you know, which is the ultra discounter. Uh, no doubt they'll be using bots for the simple question like, is my flight on time or uh, is my ticket non-refundable, those kind of things. But uh, those harder questions, uh, they're going to have to have some pretty heavy staffing to uh, avoid a lot of complaints over this. I mean, Frontier is a discount airline, so they're trying to cut uh, costs where they can. Do you see this spreading to a United or American where, like, where the masters of the universe still fly in first class? I don't. I really think that uh, it's sort of a get-what-you-pay-for sort of thing, and we know the, the three or four ultra-discounters, Allegiant, uh, Spirit, uh, and Frontier, you know, really make it clear that uh, don't expect much for that base ticket. You know, Southwest, and I, I, I see this, they answer the phone on, you know, a couple rings most times, and they uh, uh, make that part of their customer service, as does United American. You know, I do think they want to disincentify frivolous calls because people get somebody on the line and they just won't hang up, and it can be very expensive. But uh, we're still a long ways away from having those bots uh, and chat rooms being fully uh, ready to handle all, all situations. Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services, Director of the Chattuck Institute at DePaul University, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Workers at a suburban Amazon warehouse stage a walkout on this Cyber Monday. COVID restrictions in China trigger more protests. The movie industry has entered the critical box office holiday period, and it's a strange start for Disney. Stock Picker Monday will get a couple of suggestions from a money pro. WBBM Business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down. 369 points. The NASDAQ is down 109. The S&P 500 down 44. We have 45 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies going up to 47 today. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. Employees at an Amazon warehouse in the southwest suburbs staged a walkout overnight. More from WBBM's Rachel Pearson. Amazon warehouse workers in Joliet protested outside the facility for about an hour, demanding the company address health and safety issues 
issues as well as pay equity. It's no coincidence the walkout took place on Cyber Monday. Workers say if the space were to shut down completely, Amazon could lose millions of dollars per minute during its busy shopping season. Employees previously walked off the job last month after signing a petition that outlined their demands, including a base pay rate of $25 per hour. WBBM reached out to Amazon for comment, but has not heard back. That's the latest from Joliet. Barely a month after granting himself new powers, China's leader Xi Jinping is facing the kind of public anger not seen in decades due to his zero-COVID strategy. Demonstrators in Chengdu chanted end lockdown and free speech, as well as make China great again, as they gathered in the dark around candles. In Shanghai, protesters assembled along the streets, many chanting and filming a stream of police officers arriving to control the protests. Widespread demonstrations like these have not been seen in China since the army crushed the 1989 student-led pro-democracy movement in Beijing's Tiananmen Square. John Hopkins political analyst Ho Feng Hung says, however, the protests happening now are less of a threat to the government than the Tiananmen uprising. In 1989, when students are protesting, that uh, there's clear sign that the party leadership is divided um, and, and people are exploiting this... Uh, uh, division within the party leader. I'm Karen Chamas. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are starting the week in the red. We're joined by Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital, based in Chicago. Jack, thanks for joining us today. Let's continue the discussion about the protests in China, the COVID-19 uh, mitigation strategy that country has employed for nearly three years, and the impact on the uh, wider world and the wider economy. What about these China protests? What is spooking investors to start this week? Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's an easy way out of this one. I mean, we all know how frustrating it was uh, when we had to suffer mask mandates and, and closures and quarantines and everything else. And, you know, we just can't imagine this going on for, you know, going into three years. Uh, so I think that's uh, part of, uh, of obviously the frustration uh, and it's, you know, really exemplifies kind of this, you know, aut uh, autocratic government just imposing its will on uh, billions of people. This is uh, the largest outbreak of public demonstrations in China, at least since Tiananmen Square, and that was in the late 1980s. How much exposure did China have to the world economy 33 years ago compared to today? Virtually none. Um, that's a great ob observation. Um, you're right. It was really Tiananmen Square and this new notion of, you know, having to get wealth into the country before they got too old that forced or at least prompted uh, Beijing to really enter the global supply chain uh, and start this uh, start trading. And what they got in exchange was uh, a job for everyone looking for a job. Um, and um, and that was really what started to you know, set the stage moving forward. Uh, now, arguably, you could say that a lot of China's growth since the 1990s was fueled by debt. Debt growth is something like seven times the head of economic growth, unfortunately. Um, but you know that said, these um, you know these lockdowns have really stalled what what had become the second largest world economy, uh, and that's of course having uh, ripple effects all over the globe. A lot a lot of Americans see China as an economic adversary if not a strategic adversary, but 
At the same time, for American businesses, China and its one billion plus people represents a substantial market. So any impact to their buying power uh, impacts American companies' bottom line. That's it. I mean, you know, you don't have to really uh, go very far down the S&P 500 mega cap list to know companies that are operating in China and rely on China uh, for their market. Apple, for example, not only relying on China for sourcing a lot of their products, uh, but they themselves said that China is their third largest market. So it's a very important relationship um, and one that, you know, that corporate leaders don't want to turn their back on too quickly. It was always risky to begin with, uh, the cryptocurrency space, but uh, now the crypto firm BlockFi is filing for bankruptcy. More fallout from the uh, FTX collapse a couple of weeks ago. I know a lot of legacy firms kind of looked at the crypto space with some trepidation, but uh, these businesses falling one after the other, uh, uh, would they ever come back and take a, give crypto a second look? Yeah, I, I think they will probably come back. Um, you know, the fact is, Bitcoin, for uh, as much punishment as it's, as it's taking, isn't at zero. It's you know still hanging at around sixteen thousand. Uh, but um, you know, it's ironic when you look back at the emergence of crypto was a response to lack of trust in the banking system as a result of the financial crisis, and that uh, that you know leaders wanted to hold their assets outside the banking system in this distributed, transparent marketplace. Uh, And what FDX uh, really told us was it was neither transparent nor was it distributed. Uh, And now we're seeing uh, a very similar uh, uh, dominoes falling this time around that we saw what we worried about in the banking system uh, in 2008. Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer with Crescent Capital, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us. Coming up next, a mixed bag for Disney at the weekend box office. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's a critical time of year for the movie industry. There's already an early winner and a loser. And interestingly, it's the same company, Disney. We welcome in Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore, based in L.A. Paul, thanks for joining us today. The winner, Black Panther. And the loser, it sounds like, is the latest uh, installment in the uh, Walt Disney animated franchise. Yeah, Rob, it it was a tough weekend at the Thanksgiving box office. And for Disney, it was the best of times with uh, Wakanda Forever topping the chart and the worst of times, a strange world underperforming. uh, Just kind of a a shocker in a a way, because we've come to know that at the Thanksgiving holiday period, that a Disney movie, usually a family animated film, will be a big part of the conversation and generate a lot of box office wasn't meant to be. It was an overall slow frame, as we call them, the Wednesday through Sunday period, generating a mere $121 million for all the movies in the marketplace. To put that in perspective, in 2018, the Wednesday through Sunday period generated $315.6 million with Ralph Breaks the Internet, Creed 2, and Fantastic Beasts 2. So, quite a a downturn from the the glory days of Thanksgiving, but I know Thanksgiving will come back. 
hopefully it, next year. Is this simply a function of, uh, of, of a lot of studios releasing their films both in the theater and on streaming at the same time, or that the, the theater window is only a month now so you can wait until it shows up on the streaming service of your choice? It's a bit of both. I mean, it, there, there are a lot of moving parts here. So it's been a rather slow post-summer period at the box office. And also year to date, we're down some 37 movies uh, as, uh, you know, in terms of wide release films versus 2019 at the same point. So there's fewer movies. There's been a loss of momentum in the post-summer period. And then heading into this weekend, there just wasn't that that buzz surrounding this particular weekend. And Wakanda Forever, thank goodness that movie is in the marketplace, but the rest of the films just didn't generate that kind of box office that we normally expect. And there hasn't been a family film really since Lyle Lyle Crocodile. So you didn't have audiences in theaters being exposed to in-theater marketing and trailers, those family audiences to get, to get excited for a movie like Strange World. So all those things created headwinds for the industry, but Avatar is on the way, Puss in Boots, and a really good lineup, a great lineup for 2023. So at least we have that to look forward to. Is Disney animation another action item on Robert Iger's plate as he comes back to the company? Absolutely has to be. And I think Strange World is a great example of a movie that a lot of lessons can be learned from. And keep in mind, Strange World isn't a brand that people know. They know the Disney brand, but as far as the IP, as we say, there really wasn't a lot of brand identification with Strange World. So again, another bit of a heavy lift for a film that just didn't have that kind of recognition with kids and families, particularly. Three, three years ago, Frozen 2 was released. It was a $1.5 billion movie. Since then, there have been a lot of Disney animated features, but uh, nowhere close to uh, Frozen's uh, commercial power. Not at all, and you're, you're absolutely correct in that, Rob. And uh, Lightyear earlier this year underperformed as well but that was i think there's some consumer confusion too like are these movies going straight to video i mean straight to streaming i i should say or are they going to be a simultaneous release or is there going to be a window a theatrical window so all those things create a little bit of confusion but i know disney can get it back and with Iger back at the helm i think that's a really good step in the right direction. Paul DeGiver, BDN Senior Media Analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore based in L.A. Thanks for joining us today. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. And it's Stock Picker Monday. Helping us out this afternoon is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecasts newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. And first off, I should point out that uh, your picks come from your website, UpsideStocks.com. And uh, you did two of them, and, and your first one comes to the electronic space. That's right. That company is called uh, Sanmina. The symbol is S-A-N-M. Trades for about $66 a share, and they are in the electronic manufacturing. They're kind of a contract manufacturer for a host of, of electronic and technology companies where they, they manufacture for these companies and, uh, and produce... Um, their products for them and their company and, and demand has been quite strong for them at this point. Um, in the latest quarter, their uh, earnings were up 58%, sales were up 34%, uh, 
they handily beat estimates on both those sides. And in fact, they've beat estimates in each of the last four quarters and nine out of the last 10 quarters. So it's a company with good earnings momentum. It's in a space that's pretty desirable right now, uh, especially contract manufacturers uh, where they're operating and based in the United States. Stock trades in only about 11 times its 2023 earnings estimate. Uh, so it's a company in a good space with good operating momentum, with earnings estimates rising. Uh, that's a combination you're not seeing too often right now, and that's Sanmina trades for $66, and S-A-N-M is the symbol. And your next uh, selection, before you say what it is, uh, I do want to ask, uh, do you see this as some type of economic barometer? Well, it, it's certainly uh, a company that will benefit um, if we go into a little bit more of a prolonged economic slump. So, I, And I think, you know, I'm not saying that we're going into a deep, deep recession, but I think certainly things are going to slow down and especially slow down um, from the consumer standpoint. So uh, this company should benefit, and this company is First Cash Holdings. The symbol is FCFS. Uh, stock trades are about $93 a share. It is kind of a different kind of financial services and, and uh, consumer credit company in that it operates pawn shops and operates pawn shops in the United States, in Mexico, and throughout Latin America. Company's business has been pretty strong. They've beaten their earnings estimates in each of the last four quarters. Their earnings estimates are rising and rising rather sharply. You do get a little bit of a dividend yield with this stock. It yields about 1.5%. Uh, and again, I think if somebody's looking to have exposure uh, and wants to kind of build exposure on the financial services side, but do it in a, in a little bit of a, a, a contrarian way or a, kind of a hedged way, so to speak, based on the economy. First Cash does a nice job of that. Again, that's First Cash Holdings. Stock trades for about $92 a share. FCFS is a symbol. And as disclosure, our clients own both of these stocks. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services, publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter based in Hammond. Thanks for joining us this afternoon for Stock Picker Monday. You'll find past programs and later today, a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.